This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Kremlin File. And we have, this is a special episode of Kremlin File meets Gaslit Nation with... <laughs> Andrea, hi, babe. Hi. I am so happy you're here. <laughs> this is going to be difficult to get through without the giggles. I can see that. Yeah. Let me see how this is going to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Andrea, Everything. thank you so much for joining us. And um, this is definitely a much needed um, episode and a much needed uh, collaboration between our two podcasts of... Uh, with the central theme, Russia, 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 yeah. Russia. Yeah, yeah, covering all three areas, correct, right? From the states, the the whole Russian perspective, and then from the EU, that's me. All right, so that's uh, that's basically it. Okay, now let's start off, okay, with breaking news, all right? Uh, Olga, there's a, a story that's come out, and no, I know that you've been following it, and it was, it's also incredible because we had started talking about this uh, last week, right? When we were you know, uh, talking about certain events uh, and the way the Kremlin uh, treats all of its citizens, basically, but uh, especially those who are then are traitors. So you want to give us what the latest uh, that has come out? Yeah, so um, it's uh, very interesting because I was waiting for a murder outside of Russia to happen. And sure enough, this morning it got delivered. Um, so there was a Russian pilot who had taken the uh, Russian plane last year and flew it over into Ukraine and defected. Well, this morning he was found um, shot dead in Spain uh, with, uh, as of now, five bullet holes Um uh, Waiting to hear the latest. The most interesting part of this is that every single Russian state media outlet is covering not only, um, you know, the death, but also that he hijacked the plane into Ukraine. Well, they don't say Ukraine. They just say that he hijacked the plane. So it's basically definitely feels like a warning from Russia. And it reminds me of, um, you know, the one that uh, the United States and Europe pitched as a reformer, the former prime minister, former president Medvedev, when last year he basically warned on his Telegram channel that um, for anyone who speaks out against the regime uh, who is abroad, that they have uh, methods. And he was alluding to Russian security services assassinating you overseas. And I mean, this is something we've seen for decades, um, not going away. But it's interesting that this particular death came three days after they assassinated uh, Navalny inside of Russia. So I'm sure we're going to see the violence, um, you know, ramp up both yeah. inside Russia, outside Russia. 
And it will be a test for the West. You know, what are they yeah. going to do about this? Yeah. We'll get to Navalny in a second and what, let's say, the larger, the bigger picture is, okay, in, in his thing. I want to actually ask you, Olga, because I know that you've done a lot of research on Spain, okay, in the connections between. Do you think that there's a reason why, specifically Spain in this case, or no? We, we well, don't know that. I mean, uh, well, I mean, the main reason is that um, this uh, pilot was in Spain residing there. Why he would mm. choose Spain? I mean, if I was hunted by the Kremlin, Spain would be the last place that I would move to. But yes, uh, Russia has infiltrated Spain very heavily. Um, one of the biggest mafia operations that went straight to, you know, Petrushev and the National Security Council and Medvedev, by the way, um, was operating out of Spain. Um, you also had uh, Russian GRU um, agents, for people who don't know GRU, that's military intelligence, who um, were operating and uh, traveled to Spain during a prior and then during the Catalonia referendum, Russia was doing everything they could and running so many operations to try to have Catalonia separate from Spain, um, like with Brexit and like with Tex Texas exit and California exit. Um, so Spain is definitely a hotbed for Russian activities. And also, if you remember, um, the Belarusian uh, who um, basically he was in Spain. He had Russian agents following him. They got on a plane and then Lukashenko, the uh, the murdering thug um, who runs Belarus, um, pulled down the plane, basically brought it down to arrest him um, as he was on the way. This uh, uh, journalist was on the way to Lithuania. So, I mean, Spain is a hotbed of uh, activity yeah. for yeah. Yeah. Russian services. Yeah, it was one of those like red lights like, flashing as soon as no, the, the information And don't forget, uh, since mm. we're on murders, um, a few years ago, there was a string of um, high-level um, oil executive murders. And interestingly enough, one murder happened in Moscow where they killed this high-level oil executive um, they killed his wife and his children. It was such a bloody scene inside of Moscow in his home. And then not even, I think it was like not even three days later, they replicated the same thing in Spain in with Spain. another yeah. um, high-level uh, oil executive and same thing, assassinated his family and whatnot. So, I mean, uh, Spain, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, it's on the map. It's on the map. Now let's move on to no Navalny and the bigger picture. Okay, Andrea, I just wanted to ask you, get you into this conversation. And all right, what are your views? Uh, what, let's say, what lessons can we learn from this? Don't go back to Russia if you don't have to. <laughs> I don't know. I, I was having a debate with uh, Terrell Starr, a bit of a discussion over the weekend. And there was that big moment where Navalny returned to Russia to the jaws of death and he had that scrum, <laughs> like the endless beetles of all those black helmets of the Russian police, just dramatically, just over the top, two on the nose, like 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 super troopers <laughs> or like space troopers, whatever, like arresting him. And we had a discussion. Okay, the Russian op opposition, frankly, is useless, absolutely useless. It's. Um, not it's the system not a you know not like a flaw it's just designed that way to be useless 
And it's so sad to see my few Russian friends who are trying, who are working with Ukrainian organizations to say, I'm here, let me help you. How can I help you? And pitching in, but they don't have broader infrastructure support. They have to rely on Ukrainian organizations to feel useful. And meanwhile, you have what? Hundreds of thousands of Russians that have been fleeing Russia, especially in recent years. What are they all doing once they go abroad? How are they being part of the solution? How are they making themselves useful to stopping Putin, to fighting back against their like deeply funded disinformation campaign against the West, to like, further divide and destroy the West from within? What are all of these Russian <laughs> asylum seekers doing other than just setting up shop abroad and just, you know, fading into society and just living their lives ho-hum. Meanwhile, their country back home continues to carry out a genocide against Ukraine, mass slaughtering Ukrainian children, playing Russian roulette as their missiles increasingly get in, slaughtering civilians, and their agents in Congress are deliberately starving Ukrainians of the ammunition they need to protect their civilians. And so the, the reality is like Navalny's murder, what that needs to call attention to is the fact that the Russian opposition largely has been MIA for years. And Navalny was really some product of the West to make the West feel better. Like they actually had somebody out of Russia to rally around when it was really a house of cards. His organization was largely useless and no one wants to talk about that because he's been, just been tragically murdered. And that murder matters, that murder is tragic. Any loss of life, whether you fully agree with that person or not, is tragic. The fact that we have a murderous mafia state go, continuing to go unchecked, putting all of our lives in danger is tragic. The fact that the three of us have to think very hard about the countries that we visit and also yep. the countries we fly over after what happened to a uh, journalist, a, a, a blogger from Belarus who was full on hijacked, right? He, like where he was flying over Belarus, heading to from one EU country to the next. And the dictator of Belarus scrambled jets to hijack that flight and kidnap him. And he remains in prison to this day. So I think the larger picture, the bigger picture of Navalny's murder, as tragic as any loss of life is, and we have to honor that. We absolutely have to honor that because our enemies treat, they snuff out life and they idealize and worship cult leaders like Stalin that got away with mass murdering millions and were worshipped while mass murdering millions. And so we have to honor the death of a man. And the tragedy of that for th those who loved him and cared about him and put their hopes in him, that is a tragedy. And that's that's valid to feel a certain way about that. But what his death points to is a larger, a larger, how do I say this? A larger tragedy of the fact that there is no Russian opposition generally and the hundreds of thousands of Russians who are being welcomed in countries around democratic countries around the world aren't choosing to join the fight, aren't choosing to help us. And they're abandoning the handful of Russians that we know personally in our own lives who are fighting, who are being brave and who are being heroic, working in the dark, doing what they can linked in arms with Ukrainians. So I think that's the larger story. Okay. Olga? 
Any thoughts on this? The only thing I would add is, look, um, you know, I understand people, you know, say Russia is repressive. It is. It's a very repressive regime. I mean, uh, the majority of the country, there are so many security forces in Rosguardia. And, you know, and I mean, and they use very brutal tactics and I mean, very evil tactics to suppress um, any kind of opposition, um, you know, um, by uh, and even just anyone coming out to protest. But at the same point, my question has always been, and I've honestly had this conversation with my mother, who is from Russia, like, why can't three million come out across Russia? Three million is nothing compared to 145 mm-hmm. million. Three million would overwhelm any security forces. And yeah. then, you know, the answer I get from her is that they're very apolitical and they frankly don't care. And that's it. And she's like, it's always been like this. Um, you know, this is how it is. You can't change it. It's something, you know, that they have to naturally evolve to. And something will set that spark eventually because there's always a spark. No brutal regime ever lasts. But, you know, it's not something for Western figures and think tanks and whatnot to sit and, you know, play out and game out. It is something, frankly, for the Russian people, you know, themselves to figure out and decide. And this is why the more important thing is that we need to have a policy to isolate and contain Russia and, you know, and and make sure that they the regime pays for everything they've done they have done all the damage all the murders all the executions assassinations and lastly i'll just say that you know a lot of people love especially in the west love to package everything and yeah. you know put like a little <laughs> put it yeah. into a box and put a little red bow um, and they think Putin is the problem. This no. Putin's tactics, mm. Putin is a creation of a corrupt, vile, centuries old system. He's just a creation of it. And this is unfortunately something, again, that they domestically need to figure out. And that's it, you know, and for people to think you know, look, if Putin falls tomorrow, obviously we're all going to take a sigh, <laughs> a deep sure. sigh and then and, and open champagne no, bottles. And... Kremlin file block party. Everyone's uh, exactly. Like... <laughs> um, <laughs> huge, <laughs> huge. Yeah. I'll buy a ticket right away. Get over the state. Exactly. But if um, Putin should fall tomorrow, which could happen, because if you look at Russian history, I mean, you know, today it's the strongest regime. Tomorrow there is none. And it happens in like 20 24 hours and everyone's like, what? How do we miss this? So should he fall, you know, we all will get a temporary break, but it will only be a break. It will a be break. enough for Western and basically the international community to to stop being on the defense and start going on the offense because Russia exactly. will be occupied inside, you know, domestically with their things, probably blowing and assassinating, you know, people to get gas from. Um, but eventually they will be back because this is the Cheka system. This is how it's been. The security services, I mean, historically have always behaved like this. The mil- Russian military and the Soviet military. Yeah. Tell me the difference. They commit the same atrocities. Yeah. And lastly, for people who put this on Putin, Putin didn't order his military to go and rape women, to rape toddlers, to rape um, those are you normal know, children. Islands. 
to yeah. to execute people, to torture them and have fun torturing them. Putin didn't order this. He ordered seize this town. For people to do that, there's something that has to be done with that mentality. I mean, I personally, yeah. if I ever served, I haven't, but if I would ever serve the U.S. military, I my mentality wouldn't be to walk into a home, cut someone's tongue out for refusing to say uh, loyalty to to United States, raping the wife, you know, raping the children, and then executing the whole family, and then stealing the Nutella and washing machines. Like that wouldn't be my mentality. So yeah. I mean, there's no. a bigger problem, systematic problem. Yeah. Yeah, it's fact, generational mm -hmm. that problem, and that's what the Soviet soldiers did when they were marching yeah. towards Berlin and and create you know yeah. expanding the Iron Curtain. Yeah. I want to just I want to point out so what many years ago I want to say around 2016 2017 when I was in Warsaw, I met with some Russians who were living in exile. Like they didn't feel they they had left the country because of Putin, and some of the questions they were asking me were so started startlingly basic. The questions hmm. included. How do we Russians talk about our history? You Ukrainians do it so well. We want to learn how to talk about our history. And it really did strike me as a fact that they're so, they've gone, Russians themselves, yes, have gone through generations of trauma. Even Ukrainians have this generational tension where the Ukrainians that grew up with the internet have to push back against the older generation that's stuck in a Soviet mindset, an institutionalized mindset, and they're trying to break free of that Soviet, the Soviet shackles. Razum did an excellent event on this uh, several years ago where they brought all mm -hmm. these leading Ukrainian thinkers together and they talked about that. How do we, how do we uh, purge ourselves internally, individual and collectively of this Soviet mindset? And the Russians are just calloused with that. And they're taking baby steps where the Ukrainians, including the Ukrainian diaspora, is sprinting. And so I do think um, there is hope for the Russian people and they need to confront themselves in that. And the debate I had with Terrell Starr of the Black Diplomats podcast, a friendly one, was did, did Navalny make the right decision going back into Russia, knowing it was certain death? Should he have stayed abroad as this darling of the West, he would have had Hollywood at his feet. He would have had all the glossy magazines at his feet and all the intellectuals scrambling to invite him to all their parties and so on. He would have had a massive, powerful media platform being Alexei Navalny abroad. And in doing so, he could have been a rallying point, traveling the world to all these different Russia diaspora groups, doing his thing abroad. And Ukraine has survived generations because of its diaspora being so rallying and well-organized. Uh, when that massive monastery, uh, when, when Stalin exploded, what was it, St. Michael's uh, Monastery, I believe it was, in the heart of Kiev, the diaspora scrambled to raise the money to rebuild it once Ukraine became independent. That's the power of diaspora. There's a reason yeah. why Lavrov calls the diaspora rabid Ukrainians, because they are. Yeah. They're patriotically intensely committed for the survival of Ukraine. They always have been. And we don't have that equivalent when it comes to building an alternative of Russia. The people are there. The Russians are there because they, they're counted among our friends. Right. But they don't have the larger infrastructure. They don't have the money. They don't have the organizations, the grassroots. And Navalny arguably could have been a, 
been a magnet, a force of gravity in bringing all those things together at this opportune time when so many Russians are flooding abroad. And revolutions have been assisted with uh, the diaspora, with, with opposition figures being they vocal. Out. You know, mm-hmm. we see with Iran today and, and so on, and Turkey. And so I just think it was a missed opportunity. He, sh- he should not have gone back. I don't know why he went back. Uh, the argument is that he had to go back because you're because if you want to be a Russian opposition figure, you must be inside Russia. But I I, I feel that is they, they 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 should he should have stayed abroad. And I hope his wife. I wish her. You know, obviously we all wish her well. And I hope that she carries out that strategy. And because that it, it, it's ripe for it now. You know, the opportunity is there. If you call if, if a Russian of credibility calls to other Russians and, and forces these conversations, you, you're mind fucked, you all. You've got this generations long DNA level trauma of Soviet repression inside of you that you've internalized, turning yourself into a slave to the system. Slave and, and seeking imperialism at the same time, because it's, right. exactly. it, it goes two ways. Absolutely. And like, stop being, you know, imperialism's wrong. If, if Americans, if, if a sizable percentage of Americans can force these conversations, Iraq war bad, Afghanistan war bad, if we can have these conversations of, of you know, these darker, like Vietnam, you know, Russians abroad now, where they have, where they're have increasing access to a free open press. I know they had this for years in Russia, and that's no excuse, right? Um, what we're what the three of us are talking about is there's something deeper there in the Russian much side deeper that needs yeah. desperate attention, confrontation, yeah. and unraveling. And there needs to be some sort of Russian figure that emerges and forces that conversation among them. And the mm. ones that are trying to do it now, it's like it's like they're trying to row a boat in a storm using a toothpick. You know, whereas Navalny mm-hmm. could have given them some gravitas, <laughs> you know, he could have come in and really lit a fire there. And so, uh, yeah, th- so that's my comment on the whole thing is like the lost potential of another life. Right, right. Actually, I wanted to segue. OK, into... I just wanted to add one okay. thing. Yeah. Um, the most important and I keep saying this and you see it very rare. Um, the most important for Russians is to understand that they are at fault in mass until they understand that they are at fault in mass um we're not going to see because you still have you know a lot of even russians abroad who criticize putin hate putin but then when it comes to the topic of ukraine when it comes to the topic of crimea when it comes to you know certain topics they feel that they own this and these are people who have even lived in the West for a long time. And I've recalled this conversation. I remember prior to the full scale invasion having, you know, with what I considered a friend, uh, a conversation uh, with someone in London. And he has been in the West forever. Westernizers can be. And suddenly, um, when like, you know, as the full scale invasion, I was like, oh, my God, uh, Russia this time is really, you know, going to launch this full scale invasion because a lot of people thought that they were trying to gain concessions. There were none to gain. Suddenly, this this aside I've never seen of him came out and he was like, good, good. You know, and he like got excited for the thought of taking more territory to make Russia look more greater. Mm. 
And that's uh, something, a problem. I mean, Andrea, you and I know a few Russians who are the first to admit that it is the Russian people who, you know, really need to to uh, do some self-reflection um, and reflection as a society. But how many are there who openly will say, you know what, we'll this is not Putin's regime. This is us collectively. We need to go back and figure out how we got to this point that we just allow our country to commit all these atrocities across the globe. Yeah, they're like the Germans in the Third Reich. It's exact same collective pride in might equals right and just pillaging and, and raping for the good of the glory of nationalist pride. It's really gross. I will yeah. I will give Americans credit because when Trump became president in 2016, a lot of white Americans were so shocked that, that anyone would vote for him. And they were saying, this is not the America I know. And all the non-white people were like, this is America. This has always been America. Yeah. And w the shock of Trump has forced a lot of white Americans to confront our own genocidal history, which, which is massive. So the whole institution of slavery what was around centuries longer than the very existence of America itself. You know, we've, we've got a big black hole that we're just trying to climb out of when it, when it comes to racial injustice mm -hmm. in this country and genocide. And of course, I didn't even get onto the Native Americans and what happened, what happened there. Russians have no equivalent of that. <laughs> you know, if nobody you does. Andrea, can I tell you something? With, Andrea, with can that? I tell you? Yeah. Can I tell you? Nobody does. This is why I've always said the United States has it within it the seeds in order to combat the problems that they do have. Something that in Europe, in a lot of areas, are not confronted. This is something that has to be said because we're now we are in a situation where we've got movements going on in Europe, movements going on in the United States. As we know, they hook up sometimes for convenience and in different ways, okay? It's not that there's an overriding, I don't want to be a conspiracy theorist here, but at the same time, there are connections between certain people, and that's fine. And in the, I can tell you that in Europe, this kind of discourse does not happen. Absolutely not. So, you know, I give it also to, you know, uh, that's why I pride in, let's say, in the, a lot of American friends that I have that actually sit down and ask themselves these kind of questions. So this is something to be, let's say, you know, up until a certain point, great criticism. But then, you know, <laughs> it should also yeah. be constructive, right? Don't make me feel time. uncomfortable about my privilege. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. No, absolutely. And um, I mean, we have so much work to do here um, in America. I mean, so much. There are so many injustices, you know, on a systemic level. Um, but uh, I will say, um, to Mo's point, that at least here, you know, we are having these difficult conversations, not as enough. We should be having a hell of a lot more and we should be having more constructive conversations, you know, because we need to figure out how to come together, because if we can move forward, if we can make sure that this system is just and equal for everyone, not just, uh, you know, written on the Constitution, but in action, that there, this systemic racism, you know, does start dwindling down. That the fringe that has grown to mainstream goes back into, you know, the the freaking dirt in the cemetery. <laughs> like, 
then we can move on as a country. But we are, you know, at least people are having these conversations and it's something mm-hmm. that, you know, a yeah, lot it's more. fantastic. It yeah. really is. So without mm-hmm. question. And and because we're we have these conversations and they're they're culturally culturally normalized here, what happens is that Americans tend to project our values onto people like Navalny, thinking that mm. you know what I mean? That that he's yeah, that he carries our values mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. And um yeah. And so we give, we put a lot greater faith in the Russian opposition than they burned. And, and so, yeah. And so people need to under the like Western democracies need to understand as the three of us are always saying on our shows, how deep rooted Russian imperialism is, how glorified, how normalized yeah. it's, it's mom and dad. It's, it's Baba indeed over there. It's the food they eat for the holidays. It's like very much, in them you know and it's going to take a lot it needs to take greater pressure to you know when we talk about the solution like get ukraine what it needs give them the tools and they'll finish the job right give them the funding they need to stay open for their businesses to stay afloat those are all practical matters that helped us defeat fascism back in world war ii those are necessary on top of that what we need to see right away is all of the Russian oligarch money that's been frozen, including the yachts, paying for all this. Okay, that needs to finally happen. It should have happened yesterday. And the fourth thing is get these Russian, get these Russians who have fled abroad to be part of the solution, right? I don't know, like whatever their visas, asylum status is, get them into organizations, communities to have they force these conversations. If there's disinformation, there can be community centers to pr- present factual Just about them first, because God <laughs> knows with that operation of a million that ran, I'm sure there were quite a sizable amount of uh, Russian intelligence agents that flowed out. That came the in. Ref- yeah, the through. refugee status. So please just vet them yeah. and then. And then, yeah. Well, they, you know what? They need greater resources to force these conversations. We're going to be stuck with generations of this, and I'm wondering why it keeps happening. Yeah, but Andre, they tried this in the 30s, and it didn't work. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail, from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. They tried this in the 1930s and it, all oh. through the 30s. They, I don't think so. They, oh, yeah. The 1930s oh, yeah. was a wash oh. when it came to Russia. Maybe if I'm making a mistake. No. no, 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 not in Russia, in the States. Oh, they funded government. They funded. Oh, the far right. The American yeah, the government. Movements. No, it wasn't even the far right. There were just. Oh, the CIA the funded lots of covert. Like the Paris Review was a CIA project. Um, no, I mean, there were lots of things. They've tried that. But it was. One well, the CIA didn't exist in the 1930s. Not in the 30s. No, no. I think they came later. But well, yeah. But I want to say the problem with so so sort of counter to that whatever attempts they made in the 30s, you also had FDR's government funding a lot of artists in the United States who would go on to create like art glorifying socialist ideas that absolutely terrified the elites of the time who became staunchly anti-FDR. The Met Museum just did an extraordinary exhibit on this, and I bought the book. 
and you mm. walk through it and it's like <laughs> it's like all this u.s taxpayer funded art showing like pitchforks going after the corporations like very like soviet like looking very similar in style to what the soviets were producing and um so yeah it was sort of like so the 1930s was a bit of like contradictory period in that but i think it's time to reinvest in that because these these diaspora communities are abroad there are good well-meaning people among them there are many people who need guidance so as part of the investment in ensuring that ukraine wins and ukraine being the battleground for us all is to ensure that russians there's like an outreach program to the russians abroad now to be a part of the solution like come to these events speaking you know russian speakers with these credible historians, credible films, cre credible book presentations, like really sort of drip, 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 like steady diet of factual information and engagement. Even if you have to be like, hey, you are an asylum seeker for Russia. You came during this period. We need you to come to this, you know, to, 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 because we need your help in understanding how generational this struggle has been, right? Mm -hmm. Against the deep rooted rot fascism. It's fascism over there. The, journal, the generation of journalists that covered both the rise of Hitler and the rise of Stalin were traveling between both countries. We're saying there's no difference between them. It's totalitarianism. So this a, a generational struggle requires generational solutions. And so, again, invest in these communities, invest in the Russian diaspora, make sure there's some sort of obligation somehow that's livable and sustainable and humane that ensures that they stay engaged with these issues because you're not going... We, we need to stop uh, we need to stop ignoring the fact that the, that the Russian people themselves are part of this problem and not and mm. not give them unearned glorification. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can I segue into what's going on in the States? Because you guys are there and right. Some new information came out, some new poll, uh, Pew research. All right. Um, and let's say in this is connected to the Ukraine aid. OK, that. Uh, is not is being held up, uh, um, say by blackmail, uh, in all right in the House. It passed the Senate, but it has not passed the House. Um, there's new statistics that have come out where they've asked, okay, how important are global conflicts, okay, to you? Let's say to the United States, and um, specifically on the case of Russia Ukraine, seventy four percent said yes, this is important. Then another, um, this was broken down as well between Republicans and Dems. 69% Republicans said this is important to them. And 81% of Dems said it. So I don't know what's going on. All right. Why is it? I mean, this is, I know you guys are jumping into getting this one. Um, why? All right. Well, we know why. But this data shows us that American citizens Air. Okay, this is not, you know, that Americans are sitting at home saying, no, 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 no. We need the money for the border. That's not the that's not the situation at all. Who wants to go first? Olga, Andrea? Well, where do I begin with this? Americans do <laughs> care. Um, I think the main problem is that the Republican Party itself has really um, aligned itself with fascist fringe groups. And they are so completely detached from their voters because their um, grip on power is not from satisfying their voters and to actually doing things to make improve the lives of their constituents. It's to seize power by using basically what I see as um, 
Russian uh, operations of, you know, brainwashing of uh, moving around districts. What is it called? Gerrymandering. And they basically of uh, causing distrust in our institutions. So that is the main problem. And I can tell you um, one thing I cannot understand and, you know, forgive me because I've looked into so much when it comes to Russia, particularly with the United States, how it is allowed. I mean, I when I, you know, investigated cases from back in the day, Americans who betrayed their country were able to, you know, were using covert means. They were, you know, using drop boxes to move information to Russians. They were or the Soviets. They were, you know, using means where they could not be detected. Now you have freaking congressional members. And there are quite a few. I'm not saying the whole Republican Party, but there are very um, specific ones that you can really like, you know, smoke out who are publicly now assisting Russian intelligence services. And no one is doing a thing here. So, I mean, for me, the bigger picture is accountability and the fact that we allow this. And there's a very big difference between you know, obviously freedom of speech. If, if J.D. Vance wants to go to, you know, the Munich Security Conference and not attend a meeting on why Ukraine matters with his other Republican senators and, you know, basically, I don't even know what he's doing there except probably collecting information. If he's doing it for himself because this is how he feels, fine. That is the beauty of America. You don't have to like what people say, but at a at minimum, you know, you're allowed to say what you want to say. But this is a concerted, organized effort. I mean, literally, if you look at the talking points that is coming from certain people who are, you know, aligned with Russia's uh, Kremlin and Putin and, you know, the talking points are identical, identical. I mean, it looks like a troll operation. You would think that it is being written out of mm -hmm. St. Petersburg. And that's a bigger question to me, why mm -hmm. we allow this outright treasonous behavior and betrayal to America at the point of where they are endangering U.S. national security. Because well, when sir. you start talking about, well, oh, what's wrong? Why do we need NATO? It's obsolete. We don't need it. We're not going to defend our NATO countries. Guess what? That is American national security. This is no longer Ukraine. This is no longer Europe. This is U.S. national security. And the fact, I mean, Marjorie Taylor Greene last year, uh, tell me what she knows about Russia. The woman wouldn't find Russia on a map, and that's hard since it takes, you know, the, the majority, as you can see behind me, of, of a landmass. How, why would she take it upon her to go and introduce a, a bill into the Defense Authorization Act yeah. to remove United States from NATO? Why? Yeah. Why? What is a woman who barely can stitch three words together from Georgia who like, you know, before was involved in local politics, now making geopolitical decisions that happen to be aligned with Russia and exactly yeah. what Russia is attempting to do. Same thing with Trump. Trump publicly came out basically asking Russia, Russia, if you hear me, help me and make sure that I get back in the White House. And by the way, I will let um 
you attack any um, NATO country. Why is that allowed? Why? And I understand for speech you can't say it, but I guarantee you that if law enforcement and journalists or anyone looked into it, there has to be more there. People would not, especially Americans, they would not be this dedicated to get up morning to night and spew complete Kremlin shit for free. I mean, there has to be like no one would do this for free. So there has to be something, some kind of financial movement of money, something. Find it and make sure that we don't have this because we should, you know, be able to accept all views. I am fine to listen to people who say, fuck Ukraine. You know, uh, tell me why. As long as it's coming from them and not coming from a foreign intelligence service. Yeah. Yeah. Unreal. Well, so obviously, MAGA, Mike Johnson, Speaker of the House, he was mentored by Jim Jordan, who is an attack dog in Congress for Trump. So what you have is Trump, Jim Jordan, Mike Johnson. It's a Russian nesting doll of MAGA that is is deliberately, deliberately stopping, not slowing down. People were using the word slowing down, for, though they're deliberately stopping Ukraine aid. All of those Ukrainian civilians who are being slaughtered by Russian missiles because Russia is running out of all the, the Ukraine is running out of all the air defenses of the, their own ammunition to stop those, right? To create their own Iron Dome, thanks to our support yeah. to save yeah. lives. That's that, that those Ukrainians are being intentionally murdered by Trump, Jim Jordan, and Mike Johnson. This is all deliberate. Why are they doing this? Uh, it's obvious because Russia, Russia, I meant to say Trump, Trump has been dependent on Russian money for decades. Uh, his own sons, Eric and Don Jr., who were just, you know, just found guilty with this New York state case and they're banned from doing business for some time in, in New York. They admitted themselves that Trump companies, Trump businesses are dependent on Russian money, that most of their money mm-hmm. comes out of Russia. If you look at uh, little Moscow down in, in uh, Florida, Sunny Isles, it is a Russian money laundering operation. All those yeah. Trump towers down in, uh, down in Southern Florida. An intelligence Gosh. operation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Russian, uh, yeah it's, it's dirty Russian money is a dirty Russian intelligence operation to, for state capture through golden handcuffs through Donald Trump. And all his proxies, Jim Jordan and Mike Johnson. And that's what they're doing. This is how they're repaying. This is what Mike Johnson is doing in Congress. Because I'm telling you, it's it's such a close vote. All the Speaker of the House needs to do is step aside. And the aid is there because the votes are there. With, with, there's, a, there's a significant amount of Republicans and Democrats who would unite to vote for this Ukraine yeah. But, but so with that said, what's stopping Republicans, moderate Republicans, including McCall, who is the pro-Ukraine head, Mike McCall mm-hmm. is the pro-Ukraine head of the uh, House Foreign Relations Committee. What is stopping McCall from going to Hakeem Jeffries, the Democrats, and saying, I'm going to call a new speaker election. We're going to get rid of Mike Johnson because Ukrainians are dying. And so why don't we come up with some power sharing strategy here in the House? I can, you know, McCall, can mm. be the new speaker, somebody who is pro-Ukraine on the Republican side can be the new speaker. And, and Hakeem Jeffries, of the, representing the Democrats in the House, he would agree to that election. 
He would 100 percent right. agree to that election. And please, so, and pro-American, for God's sake. I mean, yeah. So yeah. With, with the Democrat, with the te- Democrat votes in the House, we just had an, uh, an election to replace George Santos here in New York, which mm-hmm. was won by uh, a Democrat. So that gives mm-hmm. the Democrats even more leverage now in the House. The votes are there to get Ukraine aid passed. You just don't have any Republicans on uh, brave enough to get rid of Mike Johnson as speaker and re- reach, a, reach across the aisle to work with the Democrats. That's the problem. Even the staunch Ukraine allies on the Republican side don't have that moral courage right now. So that's also what's holding up Ukraine aid. Well, well, and actually, oh, go ahead. And, and they're on vacation. At the end of the day, they're on vacation. I know. Well, you that's, had the yeah. assassination of Navalny. You have, yeah. you know, a war in the Middle East. You have Russia committing genocide and war crimes and freaking carpet bombing cities in Ukraine. And they are like, well, we are going to go on vacation and be back in a week. And, you know, never mind. Yeah, this has not gone unnoticed, obviously. This, you know, in the past few days, as you both know, there's a Munich security conference that is going uh, that is going on, and there's a lot that's starting to come out and not positive because obviously with the U.S. pulling back, this redraws a bit. Okay, the dynamics in the map. Okay, of what's going on. Um, I don't know Gabrielus Landsbergis who came out with some statements and he was not very happy, um, and he said that basically. Those who think Minsk three, this is what they're talking about. Okay, uh, those who think that Minsk three would be the end of this war are showing gross naivete, and that's me choosing the most polite words I can. The only way to end this war is with Ukraine's outright victory. So we must come together for that to happen. Okay. So he's very, very uh, upset because obviously he's also saying, just to finish up what his thoughts were, because he gave a two-part, okay, um, a two-part statement, uh, which, you know, rings of appeasement, not him personally, but he's commenting on it. And he said that there are way too many people who are worried about what would happen to Russia were, okay, uh, were they, de- you know, were they to be defeated? Okay, and he said, and he said, quote unquote, "Who cares what Putin would do? It's not about that. It's about Ukraine," and that's how he ended. Okay, his uh, well, his thoughts. I can tell you, you know, I deal with Ukraine on a daily basis, and you know, as the other half, half of me is a devil, <laughs> half of me is angel. Um. I can tell you there's no negotiations. If Europe and America think that there are going to be negotiations, the first Ukrainian who offers to sit down with Russia is going to be shipped to Russia on a missile, preferably. So there's going to be no negotiations. No. First of all, Ukraine has an incredible, strong, incredibly strong civil society. They are not going to negotiate with Russia dropping missiles, with raping and stealing children, with uh, massacring their family members and committing genocide, uh, freaking burning down uh, churches, uh, burning Ukrainian books, burning anything that, uh, you know, is culturally important for Ukraine. No one is going to do that. And second of all, Europe really needs to get its ass out of, you know, their head out of their ass, which seems to be happening because 
now suddenly you have several capitals all sounding the alarm. Oh, my God, Russia's going to attack a NATO country three to five years, seven years. I mean, mm-hmm. you had this from Norway, Denmark, Finland, uh, not Finland. I'm sorry. Um, uh, The Baltics. Um. UK, Germany. So you know what? Here's a stupid solution and possibly an easy one. Stop Russia in Ukraine. If Russia suffers a humiliating defeat in Ukraine and Ukrainians are armed and we have the will to deliver this defeat, if we have the weapons to the, for this defeat, guess what? Russia is going to go back, lick their wounds, and there will be no three to five years of a potential attack on a NATO country. So I'm confused what they are doing. And I mean, it's a very simple solution. You don't want Russia a threat to NATO. Finish it off in Ukraine. Help Ukraine secure their country. It's their country. No one has the right to come in to your home, burn it down. I mean, you see the the, the images coming of towns every, you yeah. know, again, going back to Mike Johnson, The man is on vacation as another Ukrainian town got erased off the map. I mean, you know, good luck. Enjoy your your martinis or whatever you're drinking. Yeah. And one thing, too, Olga, is about the media and the way they're treating all of these, all of these news stories, which I think is really, really significant. And that we, we need to talk about that because. It's just, it's mind boggling. I saw this thing with Stephen Colbert the other the other day. I don't know if I can say this, but I said, just put this on loop, which is exactly what you said. And I'm sure, Andrea, you've said it as well. A million uh, times. Were, exactly. Me and but, Andrea spend, I think, as much time fighting Russia as we do American media. It is something... <laughs> No, it's just something. I'm it's like, creepy. my God, useless. They're like as, as useful as the Russian opposition. Yeah, they're, 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 it's, it's like, uh, really, it's ridiculous. So I just want to touch on one example that actually made me put, you know, my thoughts together. Um, the, uh, the other day, um, so everyone's been, you know, circulating around the stupid Tucker, you know, um, Putin interview, which I still don't believe is an interview. You will until you convince me otherwise. Tucker was there for election instructions or some kind of something that has to do with U.S. upcoming elections. I mean, instructions on how to access his new bank accounts and stuff. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Although. He seems to uh, put in, was in Dubai. not to have been happy with it. But um, while everyone's been focused on that and focused now on Tucker's new position of being, you know, the spokesperson for Russia's tourist industry, um, Putin gave another interview to, uh, you know, a very significant propagandist inside Russia um, and basically was asked, um, you know, who, what do you think of upcoming elections? Of course, Putin's like, no, 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 us, us interfere in elections. Never. Everyone has their own right and whatever, which is obviously complete bullshit. Um, but at the same time, he threw out, I prefer Biden because he's more stable, mm-hmm. more pragmatic and, you know, whatever. Now, Putin is a KGB agent. I mean, this is something that, you know, he is using reverse psychology and it works. So I'm like, okay, I saw this. And then he even like in the interview, you know, was hoping for uh, Tucker Carlson to get arrested. 
he's like, well, it would be bad for him, but, you know, it would be good for us if he got arrested by U.S. Um, you know, uh, authorities. NATO nonsense, he said, you know, NATO's not a problem for Russia, which is interesting considering they used that as one of the pretext to invade Georgia and launch a full-scale invasion against Ukraine. But NATO's, you know, not a problem, whatever. But the Biden bit. I normally, I read so many Putin statements that I, you know, it goes over my head. I look online um, in U.S. media. Guess what? CNN, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post, Time Magazine, AP, Reuters, every single American media outlet. Putin prefers Biden. This is the headline. Now, guess what? They just inadvertently assisted in an in a successful Russian intelligence operation because Putin blurted this out for the simple fact he wanted that headline seen. Why? Because then the normal Americans, which is probably the majority who are not paying to, you know, uh, domestic uh, issues or mm -hmm. foreign policy issues, will see a headline and be like, oh, you know, Putin doesn't want, uh, hey, call it, uh, huh. uh, Putin wants Biden. Guy. Yeah, Putin wants Biden, and that's it. Now, this interview with this specific remark literally came on Valentine's Day. What was it, four days after Trump publicly said that he will encourage Russia to attack any NATO country? And I removed the rest about the spending because the spending is mm. garbage. That's just, there is a Trump could care less. The man is constantly, was bankrupt how many times? He's never mm. paid his bills. So, I mean, he frankly could care less who spends what in NATO. Um, his whole point is to, you know, to, to basically break up NATO, to undermine NATO, whatever. But this is what American media did. And I'm like, you are kidding me, because now this is going to be the people don't open uh, articles. People glance mm -hmm. at a headline, say, oh, Putin prefers Biden. And that's it. And this is what they are going to walk away with. Yep. And this U.S. media assisted uh, the most simple, a free Russian intelligence operation. Go ahead, Andrea. Yeah, I mean, Putin is a master troll. <laughs> and this was just brilliantly done by him. And the idiots in the media fall for it every time. It's very yeah. upsetting. It's infuriating. It's why podcasts like Kremlin File and Gaslit Nation exist, because somebody has to repeatedly call this out. And you don't, how do I say it? It's just so strange. These massively funded, far-reaching disinformation operations, all they take are fact-checking. All they take are historical context, and that's what we do. If we do that, why can't these journalists at all these organizations across America and big capitals, media capitals like New York and L.A. and so on, D.C., uh, and the excuses, really, one of the problems is that, first of all, Americans are very self-centered. We don't think there's much going on on the other side of the Atlantic. And um, when it's an election year, they don't see the connection between foreign policy. They don't see the connection on what's going on. Like, I remember uh, somebody in the media saying to me in 2016, when I was trying to warn everybody about Trump and Russia attacking our democracy in 2016, you know, all the work, you know, and amplifying the work my sister was famously doing at that time. 
And some influential voice in media said to me, Andrea, it's an election year. Americans don't care about Ukraine. And then lo and behold, Ukraine becomes the biggest news story in the yeah. world again and again, with first with the first Trump impeachment and then the war and so mm -hmm. on. And um, so and, and also you have this problem where uh, across Ukraine, across American universities, they're learning about that part of the world through a Moscow lens, through yeah. the seat of empire. And it's all romanticized. The Russian soul, Dostoevsky. And so it's mm -hmm. a very shallow understanding of Ukraine and Russia and the stakes for us here at home. When people have to understand, we're, it's World War II level fascism versus democracy now. And if, we, if Ukraine doesn't win, if we don't stop Russia's partners in Congress and the MAGA movement, we're next. The U.S. is going to fall to lawlessness and the Republicans, the Russian partners across the Republican Party are going to pass more and more oppressive laws and turn up that heat. And pretty soon in our lifetimes, America is going to become a totalitarian regime. And, and what happens then when we have the most powerful military in the world? No place is safe. You can't the Scandinavian countries can't can't resist this. What are they going to become like one massive refugee camp of asylum seekers? Mm. Right. And, you know, Kenya and, and Japan and other Democratic partners can't resist this. It's going to be so far reaching. So so just take just count the number of dead that the murders that Putin has gotten away with thus far. Olga tallied some off at the start of this conversation. How if, if Trump gets in, if, if the Democratic alliance doesn't finally get its shit together and get and give Ukraine all the tools it needs to finally finish this job, including liberating Donbass, including liberating Crimea, because why would you abandon abandon those Ukrainians to a totalitarian system of Russian occupation? If we don't get our act together, no place on this planet will be safe. And I'll add it from a U.S. national security. We need to get our act together here. We are under attack. We have been under attack. Russia, I will never. Look, I obviously got into this, you know, with Ukraine in 2014. And then 2015, I saw Russia uh, from the Russian side, um, their operation to attack U.S., we have been under attack and I will never, ever forgive Russia for taking a third of our country and turning them into basically against America, against American institutions, against America's greatness, against America's, you know, key role in geopolitical, you know, uh, space to provide assistance to guide countries. I'll never forgive Russia for doing this because we literally need lost a third of the country to Russian propaganda that they have been running since. I mean, they've always did it, but since 2007, when they saw because Russia since Soviet days, you know, their intelligence services, all they do is look for any vulnerability. And when they saw uh, Obama, you know, hey, call rising and you saw, you know, the <clears throat> white supremacist and fringe groups who at that moment were fringe, um, basically uh, fuming that a black man can potentially be president. Russia jumped in from 2007 on. 
they have been focused on, you know, these fringe groups, bringing them mainstream, sending them disinformation. And I remember Mo and I did a funny episode with uh, Bob Bear, who's a former CIA agent. And at that time, like, I couldn't stop laughing because it was during, you know, COVID, like towards the end of COVID. Well, not that there is an end, but towards not not the the main part of what we were dealing with. And I see the new conspiracy flying around that you have to drink urine to eliminate COVID. I said, oh, my God, look what the Russians did. Now they have yeah. Americans drinking urine because this is what they, they do. They must laugh their Russia. heads off. This is, they probably no, laugh their heads what, off going, these stupid Americans. No, they are. Well, um, you know, Monique, I've always wanted to write a office-style TV series on a Kremlin troll farm. <laughs> <laughs> it would actually be funny. Sorry, I know it's kind of sick, but no, I'm sorry. We were interrupted. Go ahead. Finish. Finish, Olga. <laughs> no, I'm done. I'm just saying that um, yeah. we need to, you know, for anyone who doesn't care about, you know, outside our borders, we need to protect our damn borders. And yeah. I don't mean the physical borders. I mean, what is our happening sovereignty. online? I mean, yeah. where you have very, you know, people who should know better who gets to come to repeating Russian disinformation, people in our military, people across government agencies, you know, and then regular Americans who are educated, who even might be against Russia and still repeat Russian disinformation. Yeah. So yeah. we really need to safeguard, you know, inside the country because we are under attack. And until Russia sees this country turn into a complete destructive shit show filled with chaos and murder and a potential civil war as Trump is trying to, you know, ha has a plan of sending, uh, what is it, a red state national guards into blue state national, uh, blue states to confront each other. What happens then? Like, what yeah. will happen if we yeah. have National Guard from red states trying to go and take migrants out of blue states, out of sanctuary uh, cities? What what will happen? Where? How far will this go? So we yeah. need to protect America. And that's also extremely important. And, and we need to, you know, make sure that Russia pays for what they did here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, from from this side of the Atlantic, I can tell you it looks pretty bad. Okay. In the sense that, uh, and this I can say for a lot of countries here and exactly where I'm living, it may be generational. It may be the influence that we've seen over years and years and years of certain kinds of narratives that get pumped into our system. Too many people are taking the actual democrat, like democracies where we live for granted. They think it's going to go on forever. And yeah. the lucky thing is, is that living here, I've met so many people that have lived under, okay, the Soviet period, and they are the most vociferous of saying, stop, this needs to stop. And you, we need to understand that these were people who fought for years and years and years through resistance movements in order to get their democracies and their independence and it's a slap in the face when you see so many young people or other, no, even, I mean, it's not even young people. It's a whole array of people now from, because they've managed to put out narratives that grab an older person like they do, you know, the young person on TikTok. So this is, no, it's across the board. 
but this basic, basic idea of stop taking democracy for granted. Because it could be that one day, it's a very fragile system. Here in Italy, we've only had it since 1948. The United States has had it for a lot longer. There are other forms in other countries. But it doesn't mean that it's going to be the system that will be, right? We need to protect it. And we need to work on it. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. 100%. 100%. All righty. Okay. And Andrea, when are you coming back? Wait, no, I just, before we finish this... Uh... We could wrap up with a lighter story of that's a good all, idea. We can okay. all show our shocked face. I don't know what a shocked face looks like. Anyway, so um, basically, just to wrap this up with a lighter story, Trump released gaudy sneakers. I mean, <laughs> at the thing. I've never really? seen anything. I've well, never I'm seen so you gotta pay those legal bills somehow. I mean, I can't even tell you how how uh, tacky they look. I mean, it's 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 just so tacky. And I then know. a and then a perfume or a cologne that has his statue that reminds me of a Soviet statue, and I'm like, but oh, get out! I didn't even see that. Yeah. I just so saw anyway, the, the, uh. it, it's it's horrible. But anyway, whatever you know, to each their own. He wants to sell sneakers, <laughs> go for it. Um, but he. Uh, at his lunch had a, you know, uh, auction and one bidder, very dedicated Trump fan. Um, uh, he called, uh, purchased the sneakers for $9,000, 9,000, 9,000 for something that's probably worth $5. Yeah. yeah. Um, Trump did sign it for him. And then New York post came out, uh, with a story that basically this guy is a Russian CEO. Surprise. <laughs> And the first thing with the way my mind works is like, is this the new scam of moving campaign funds? Are we going to be now doing it through sneakers, walking them in? But yeah, that uh, on a lighter note, I mean, if Hollywood wanted to write a Trump Russia story, I don't think they could have filled in all these bits. I mean, out of 350 million people uh, in United States, the one person who spends 9,000 on Trump's launch day is a Russian CEO from my old neighborhood, moved next <laughs> into the next state. Um, so I could just imagine like stuff off a truck. Is this what we're talking about? Well, what? we don't know that. Okay. No. What who? Him? Yeah. Oh, he, he's a luxury a watch dealer who sells watches on the gray market. Uh, I guess, yeah, <laughs> not a non-authorized. Okay, not not off a truck, maybe the back of the, the trunk of the car. I mean, like I, I don't know, know like specifically <laughs> about him. I can tell you that I remember the scam in Brighton Beach and um, the mafia was involved in luxury watch sales and and jewelry and frankly, everything, um, Chanel bags and everything. I mean, you could anything and everything that there was a scam the Russians had found it. And like from the 80s on, I mean, it was it, uh, one day we'll do an episode of what it was yeah. like to grow up. You know up. what? We should do an episode where it's the Italian and, and Russian scammers. Because I've always said this. Italians are exactly like Russians in certain ways. They are. The mafia, they're the same. Well, don't forget the Russians learned from the Italians. Because when um, the Soviet diaspora came to huh? United States in the 70s after the Soviet Union lifted the curtain uh, for uh, Soviet Jews. Um, basically, they immediately, um, like within a year, partnered with the five um, mafia families in New York. And um, this is where Russia 
uh, Russian mafia learned a lot of the the loopholes in U.S. and tactics uh, from Italian mafia. But then the Russians, being Russians, were like, you know, why are we splitting with you? And they kind of <laughs> just off them. <laughs> yeah, push aside <laughs> the Italians and continue. But I one well, day we'll have an episode. They mass slaughter and they paid off the politicians like Giuliani to arrest him. Yeah, oh, there we go. There you go. Well, we could break out in song right now. Oh, so the Russians, um, they're they're um interesting how they set up base um in uh in New York and you know how they continued. Um, so I could just imagine what kind of watch dealer this is. I'm not gonna speculate until I no. look. I mean, no I will speculate. I won't definitively say this is, yeah. but still, it's just it's it um made me both laugh. And when I saw the headline from New York Post, made me laugh and made me <laughs> shake my head and made me say, of course, Russia. Like, why couldn't it just be an American who paid 9000 No, it had see. to be. It had to be. It had to be. Okay, so, Andrea, when are you coming back? Anytime. You guys have. <laughs> <laughs> we need to make this like a Andrea, once a month. any final again. thoughts? Yeah. Well, I would just you say, close it up, babe. Go ahead. I will. My final thought on that is, yes, of course, it's going to be a Russian with that dirty Russian money buying the dirty golden Trump toilet sneaker, and at the same time, a, a sizable, you know, population in Russia doesn't even have indoor plumbing. They have to send their children, their their boys, over to Ukraine to rape and pillage and come back with toilets and Nutella. That's it. Those are the symbols of Russia today. Yep. 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 Okay. Well, uh, you want to close out the show for us? Yes. Go ahead, Andrea. It's yours. Fuck Putin. <laughs> <laughs> A Kremlin file gaslit nation friendship bracelet coming to you. Fuck Putin. Fuck we'll Putin. And all, and all his puppets. Yeah, exactly. Looking That's at um, Mike Lee and Ren Paul and all, all right. the congressional ones. Okay, All right. So that's us wrapping it up. And Andrea, we're going to welcome you back as soon as possible. We love you and thank you for everything that you've set up until now. Love you. Love you. <laughs> love you. And we'll um, definitely be doing this more often because we're going to need the broader aspect of Russia meeting uh, Gaslit. Um, to discuss the local politics so we can yep. safeguard and make sure that we get everyone's ass out there to vote. Because we, yeah. we cannot have... Uh, I don't want to move from America. I like America. No, of course, we're not moving. We're going to win. Hi, everybody. If you enjoyed our podcast and would like to help us with our independent work, subscribe to Kremlin File on Substack or YouTube. Kremlin File is hosted by Olga Lautman and me, Monique Marra. Production and theme music by Oreste Camarra. Please don't forget to visit our Substack and write to us with your comments or questions, which we'll address in our weekly episodes. Thanks for listening to Kremlin File.